Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. The reading this morning is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, starting at verse 20, to be found on page 1166 in the Church Bibles. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominions, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, It is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives his own body, its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, 
But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mary. Before we begin, let's just have a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we look at your word together today, please give us a vision of what you have prepared for us. Because we ask this in the name of Jesus, who made it all possible. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. What most excites you about being a Christian? Well, I guess if I were to ask around the church today, I I might get quite a few different answers, and they probably won't be the same at all. So let me ask you then a different question. What excited the Apostle Peter? Well, if we look at Peter's speech in Jerusalem immediately after the Holy Spirit came on them at Pentecost, one of the things that was most exciting him was the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. You, with the help of wicked people, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, he told the crowd. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was at the heart of what he taught later uh, when he was called before the Sanhedrin to explain why he was preaching Jesus when he'd been told not to. He said, The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him to his own right hand as Prince and Savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. It was Jesus' resurrection that caused him to risk unpopularity and spread the good news to an alien people. Well, last week, uh, Easter Sunday, we were celebrating, um, in quite a big way, the day of Jesus' resurrection, the greatest event in history. And this week, 
as Natasha said, we're looking at something in the future that flows from that, our own resurrection, because one day we too will be raised from the dead. Our reading was from first, the first letter to the Corinthians, and in chapter 15, Paul picks up this theme of resurrection. The background is that there were people in Corinth who were saying that there was no resurrection. Now, we know that the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. There was also some Gnostic thinking growing that was developing at the time that, that said that a person's spirit was good, but their body evil. So the idea of resurrection to them would have been anathema. And there are probably other people who, for different reasons, were, were denying the possibility of, of resurrection. And some Christians had obviously picked up this idea, and Paul is urging his readers to recognize that if there's no resurrection, then Jesus wouldn't have risen from the dead. And if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, then Christianity has no point. It's a waste of time. It's certainly a waste of Paul's time. But Paul didn't regard it as a waste of his time because Jesus did rise from the dead, and because Jesus rose then we too will rise at some point in the future. Paul describes Jesus' resurrection as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is an expression that a Jew would have understood very well. I mean, when the barley harvest was about to take place, some sheaths would have been brought to the temple and were processed, and the flour would have been offered to God. They were the first fruits and it wasn't until that was done that the new barley could be brought and sold in the shops and bread could be made from the new flour. The first fruits were a sign of the harvest to come that would be available to everybody. And Paul is saying that Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits. It opened the way for the resurrection of all believers which was to come. Well, if we're going to rise again, then we might have quite a few questions to ask about our resurrection. And in our passage today, Paul considers three of them. First of all, when will my resurrection take place? Then when I'm resurrected, what form will I take? And then how will I be seen? So the first question, when will our resurrection take place? Well, Paul tells us it will be when Jesus returns. Jesus had promised his disciples he'd return, and Paul is saying, well, that's the time when we will be raised. And in this passage here in chapter 15, he, Paul describes very briefly what will be a tumultuous change to the whole of existence. Those who belong to Christ will rise, he says, and then the end will come. And he explains that all the forces working against Jesus will be defeated. And he adds, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Oh yes, Jesus has defeated the power of death, evidenced by his own resurrection. That enables us to be sure of our future resurrection. But, but death has not yet been destroyed. We still have death in this world. And when somebody close to us dies, then it's horrible. There's no denying that. But at the end time, when all God's enemies have been defeated, then death itself will be destroyed. It brings to mind that lovely picture of what it'll be like that we read in the book of Revelation. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, 
for the old order of things has passed away. It's a world we'd love to live in. Well, we're promised that that's what it'll be like when Jesus returns. Okay, so our our resurrection will take place when Jesus returns, but when will that be? Well, we, we don't know. Even Jesus didn't know when he would return. He told his disciples, no one knows about that day or hour, not, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. I, I think sometimes we feel as Christians that we must know all the answers, that it's a sign of weakness in our Christian faith if we don't. But it, it's quite in order not to know things, especially if Jesus didn't know himself. I remember back in the 1960s, there was a spate of books written about how the world was going to end soon. Some of them appeared to be very convincing, and to be quite honest, um, they were a very exciting read. And it was all based on the fact that the Jews had returned to Israel in 1948, and the authors had taken a particular verse in the New Testament to suggest that Jesus would return within a generation of that time. Well, a generation's reckoned to be about 25 years, which means on that basis Jesus would return by 1973, if my arithmetic's correct. Um, Well, he didn't. Uh, And when you analyse these books that had been written, you you tended to find that about 25% of the book was backed up by isolated verses from the Bible, and the rest was just pure imagination on the author's part. We don't know when Jesus will come. We aren't supposed to. But when he does come then we shall rise from the dead. But there's another big question that will be on many minds when they think of resurrection, and that is, what form will I take? I've given my life to Jesus. I know I'm going to spend eternity with him. But when Jesus returns and the resurrection takes place, what form will my body take? Will I even have a body? Well, this is a subject that Paul now addresses in this passage in some detail. As I said earlier, Corinthians, to some extent, were affected by uh, that pagan Greek thinking that there'd be no resurrection from the dead. And so when Christians started teaching that everybody would be raised from the dead, some assumed that corpses that had been buried in the graves would be resuscitated, get up, and carry on as before. Now that idea probably fills us with horror, especially if we're getting on a bit. And most people, when they die, have bodies that have let them down fairly badly towards the end. And the idea of carrying on with those bodies where you left off is not, I have to say, appealing, not remotely appealing. And there are all kinds of questions that would arise if that were the case. What about the rapid deterioration that our bodies would have undergone if we'd been buried? What about people lost at sea? What about people who've been cremated? What about children that had died? Would they come back with children's bodies when they're resurrected? Well, mercifully, Paul is very quick to counter that idea that we'll have the same body as before. He makes the point that when our natural body dies, it well and truly dies, and that our resurrection, it will be with a new body. He gives an illustration to explain when a plant dies, it may leave behind a seed, and when that seed is planted... It grows into something new. Oh, he says a connection with the original body, but it's something new with a new body. And I guess you could liken that seed to to our souls, that part of us that never dies. 
If you remember, Jesus said to his disciples, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. As far as he was concerned, only God has power to destroy someone's soul. So when our natural bodies die, our souls survive and we'll be resurrected with a new body. It'll still be us, but it'll be with a new body. It will be, as, as Paul describes, a spiritual body, not a flesh and blood body that we have at the moment. It's sown a natural body, he says. It's raised a spiritual body. But why do we need a spiritual body? Because, as Paul tells us in verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Our natural bodies, which we all live with now, are not suitable for this new life. And Paul gives an illustration here. He says different animals have different bodies suitable for what they have to do. Birds have wings because they need to be able to fly. Fish have different bodies from us because they spend most of their time underwater. We need new bodies that are fit for purpose in this life that uh, it lies ahead of us, our resurrected life. We need bodies that are fit for that particular environment. But what exactly is a spiritual body? Well, I'm afraid I can't give any explanation as to the chemical composition of our future bodies, but Paul gives us some more clues here as to how our new body will be different from our old one. First of all, it will be imperishable. At present, our earthly bodies are are destined to deteriorate, and the cross doesn't alter that fact. Oh, yes, there are times when our health improves, when we feel better than we have been, but essentially we are destined to deteriorate And there's nothing we can do to prevent that. But our spiritual bodies will be imperishable, meaning they're designed to last forever without deterioration. You hear that? Those of us who are consumed at the moment with aches and pains, with wearing out joints, with illness, with weakness, our new bodies will be designed to last forever with no deterioration, no decay, no death. The second comparison that Paul uses is that whereas our old bodies are sown in dishonor, the new one will be raised in glory. The Greek word translated dishonor has the meaning of without rights of citizenship. A corpse has no rights. Now, whether this is what Paul had in mind, there's nothing particularly honorable about a corpse being put in a grave. It certainly lost its rights to citizenship. But our new bodies will be raised in glory with all the rights to be a citizen in this new life with Jesus. And then the third comparison Paul gives here is that whereas our old bodies are sown in weakness, the new body will be raised in power. Our new bodies are so limited in what we can do. There are so many things we'd like to be able to do that we can't. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the disciples couldn't stay awake for one hour. And Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. When I get my new body, anything I am required to do, my body will be able to, to accomplish. Okay, Paul, one further question. How, what will other, how will other people see me? 
Well, what Paul tells us in verse 49 is that we'll bear in some way a likeness, not to our old flesh and blood bodies, but a likeness to Jesus. Just as we've borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. We shall be like Jesus. We won't all be identical any more than we are now, but I'm sure we'll continue to have our own personalities. But having shaken off our human frailty, we shall be pure and holy and faultless. In other words, we'll be just like Jesus. Well, what will that look like? We don't know what it's going to be like. There is a view that Jesus is going to reappear looking just as he did when he rose from the dead at that first Easter, but I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. The fact is that we don't know what Jesus' body will be like when he returns. The Apostle John, when he was writing his first epistle, said, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's John, who's been a witness to Jesus' resurrected body when he appeared that first Easter, saying that when Jesus comes again, we don't know what he'll be like, but we shall be like him. Exactly what Paul has been telling the Corinthians. So we've been looking at some questions that are highly relevant to each one of us today about what's going to happen to us in the future. When will my resurrection take place? What form will I take? How will I be seen? And Paul has addressed these questions and sometimes I I fear he hasn't given us all the answers we might have liked because he doesn't know the whole answer. He wasn't intended to and nor are we. But what we do know is that when Jesus comes, we shall rise to be with him and if we belong to him, we shall spend eternity with him with new bodies that are fit for purpose in the new world. And all the wrong and evil things of this world will be no more. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.